0: Welcome to the Steady Hand Podcast. I'm Tom Bradley. Today we're lucky enough to have Larry Lunn with us. Larry is the chairman and founder of Connor Clark & Lund, the firm that manages two of our funds, our savings fund and income fund. And uh, we're going to certainly talk about the income fund today. But Larry, I thought uh, maybe I'd throw you a lob ball to start. And just uh, I'd be curious to, to know what was the circumstance 26-some years ago, I think, when you uh, hung up your shingle and started Connor Clark & Lund?
1: Well, Tom, um, yeah, it was, I think, 27 years ago. It was in 1982. And uh, in some ways, it wasn't that different than today. Um, we were in the midst of a pretty severe recession, in fact, one of the worst we would seen in decades. Markets were in disarray. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. At that time, unlike today, inflation was a huge problem. But it, uh, and then, well, in fact, something else that makes it similar is back then we had a Doctor Doom, Henry Kaufman, just like we have a Doctor Doom today, and uh, uh, Rubini, Doctor Rubini, and I think Paul Kirger is trying to get in there as well. So there, there's a lot of similarities, and the other similarity, because it's an uncertain time, is that it presents lots of opportunities. And at that time, I thought. This is probably the right time to start a firm because there are lots of opportunities. People are looking for answers, and uh, at that time, uh, we felt we had a few.
0: No, it seemed to me, Larry, in '82, uh, we were probably where we were. Oh, maybe we still are. You can you can answer that. But six months ago, nine months ago, when people thought equities would never go up again, was we were pretty. We were right at the beginning of the bull market then, weren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact. Uh, the beginning of a bull market that was to go for uh, over 20 years. I'm not sure that we're looking at the same set of circumstances today, because uh, at that point in time, we had interest rates at incredibly high levels, which were those high rates were depressing the multiples that we saw on stock prices. So we had stocks trading around eight to nine times earnings, whereas today, they're arguably much more expensive than that at 16 times, but that's because inflation's So while I think we might be going into a period where we're going to see a pretty good advance in stock prices over the next five-plus years, I don't think it'll be to the degree that we saw coming out of 1982.
0: I want to get to the income fund, but first, Larry, let's talk about uh, the overview just for a minute. How would you characterize where we are in the recovery if we indeed are in a recovery yet? And I mean the economy itself.
1: Well, um, I've got... Three words to describe where we are. It's over. And by that I mean uh, the financial crisis is over, uh, the global recession is over, and the flight to safety is over. And let me just expand on each of those three points. Uh, When I say the financial crisis is over, we can see that in a series of indicators, whether we're looking at the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index or we're looking at the Bank of Canada's Financial Conditions Index, If we look at what's happening in terms of the rates that banks trade money back and forth to each other through the TED spread or LIBOR, all of these are back at normal levels, which tells us that the crisis that we've come through has largely abated. And we're seeing that in the prices of other risky assets as they start to move up. In terms of the global recession, it's over too because while in the spring Bernanke and others were talking about green shoots. Those green shoots have actually turned into some flowers here. And the flowers are coming in the form of we're seeing economic activity pick up in emerging markets and even in some developed economies like Australia. We're getting some good numbers out of Germany and France today. And a series of leading indicators that we look at, whether they're the index of leading indicators for the OECD or the United States or Canada – All of those have clearly turned up. The ISM uh, indexes, which are a survey of manufacturing and service sector intentions, those have all turned up. And uh, markets have turned up. Stock markets are going up. Credit markets, uh, spreads are coming in. These are all signals that the recession is over and we're moving into a period of growth. And then the third point where it's over in terms of flight to safety. Now, while that might not be entirely too, true in the retail sector, we're certainly seeing it in the institutional side in that investors are starting to become more confident about the recovery, and as such, they're taking on more risk, not a lot of risk, taking on more risk because they want to get some returns because they're not satisfied with getting a T-bill return at a quarter of a percent.
0: Now, that raises the issue, I guess, uh, uh, the next question, I guess, is inflation. I'm on record as saying I haven't a clue. I, I, uh, I know the arguments on both sides of it, but uh, have you guys taken a stand here as to how you think inflation is going to play out?
1: Tom, um, we have taken a stand. Um, we do have a view here, and basically over the short to intermediate term, we don't see inflation as a problem. And we base that view on a number of factors. One, there's excess capacity in the system. There's lots of plant, lots of equipment to produce more goods out there. And when there's excess capacity, there's usually no pricing power. Also, the level of employment or conversely, unemployment, employment's very low, unemployment's very high, so there's slack in the labour market. So there's no pent-up demand for labour, so there's no need to bid up the price of labour. There's what we call a significant output gap, and the output gap is the difference between the potential of the economy and what it's actually operating at, and it's operating well below its potential. And then, therefore, again, there's no ability to raise prices uh, in the foreseeable future. So we don't see inflation on the horizon because of those factors. And the people that are in the camp that are calling for more inflation, they point to the large uh, government deficits that are out there and the rapid increase in uh, money supply by central bankers. We have a response uh, to both those issues. First, starting with the deficits. The deficits are of concern and will become alarming if they go on for a long period of time. But if we look at the U.S. deficit, which is the most glaring out there at 12% of GDP, if we look at the debt service to income ratio, so that is what they have to pay relative to the income that's generated there, it's about 9%. That's compared to 18% in the 1980s and into the early 90s. So there's actually room to be able to finance this in the short term. So the question becomes, when do they start to deal with these deficits so it doesn't balloon to 18? But in the short term, they've got enough room that they can actually move it up. And arguably, we need that because, as I said earlier, there's no real strong final demand in the private sector And we need that to come from the government sector as we kind of work our way through out of this recession and into a full recovery. In terms of the money supply, there's been a lot of excess liquidity created. But for that to become inflationary, it has to go into the banking system and out into credit. And it has to have what we call a multiplier effect. And that's not happening. In fact, what's happening is the banks are hanging on to the money. And they're investing it in government securities. They're actually financing these deficits that we're talking about. So the money isn't high-powered money. And until it becomes high-powered money, uh, there's no inflationary bias from it. So while those two things are out there and they will become a problem, they're not a problem in the short to medium term.
0: Well, Larry, it's, let's uh, let's move on and, and talk about the income fund. Uh, it's It's a great story. It's had a huge rebound this year. Uh, after a challenging 2008, and and maybe you could take us through sort of the strategies that didn't work in 08 and how they have played out this year. I know uh, you guys held in there, and, uh, and it's really paid off, but maybe you can take our clients through that.
1: Um, y- yes, that's right. Um, we did have a bit of a struggle in 08, and it really started in the spring, when at that point in time we made an assessment that credit or corporate bonds uh, were looking very appealing, in particular bank paper, in particular Canadian bank paper. We had a situation on our hands where we saw spreads, that is the spread of corporate paper over government of Canada's at rates higher than what we saw in the recession of 91 and 92. And we saw it in the 91-92 period, Uh, was characterized when the largest trust company in Canada went under, the largest real estate company went under, and one of the largest insurance companies went under. And technically, the banking system in this country was near bankruptcy, or they were insolvent, and spreads blew out. And here we were in 08, and spreads were actually higher. And we knew that the banking system, or felt the banking system, was way, way stronger. The other thing was from a macro perspective... We felt that the risk to the general financial system was going to be managed all right because right at that point in time, Bear Stearns had been rescued uh, by the Federal Reserve and uh, J.P. Morgan in the States, and we felt that if the macro environment was going to be controlled and there was value in the Canadian banking system and corporates, that that was a good time to step in because these spreads were very wide. So we were right on one thing. The banking system turned out to be one of the the best in, in the world and has come through in flying colors. We were dead wrong on what was happening in terms of uh, the safety in the whole financial system. The Federal Reserve and the Treasury in the States, for whatever reasons, and only history, will, when we look back on it, will tell us, they let Lehman go, unlike Bear Stearns, and we pushed the whole system to the brink. And what that did, of course, is it... Made spreads move out even wider. We underperformed. Emergency surgery was performed in terms of the central banks came back into play. Governments started spending like crazy. System got saved. Spreads came back in. We got all our money back. And, in fact, the good bet that we'd made over a year ago is pain. So we're actually a- ahead of the game now. So... Um, not a roller coaster we want to go on too many times, but at the end of the day, it did it did play out uh, reasonably well for us and uh, the unit holders.
0: Now, at that time, uh, you've, you've mentioned the bank bonds; uh, they were they went further on the spreads than you thought, but they were a huge opportunity. And those spreads have narrowed a lot. How do you feel about the bank bonds now? And uh, are there some other sectors that, that you're looking at?
1: Yeah. Um, the position that we took in the banks, particularly the Canadian banks, paid off extremely well. In fact, they're back to levels what we'd call fair value. So they're not undervalued anywhere anymore, and so the opportunity set is not the same. Having said that, uh, the yields are still attractive, especially compared to Canada's. Arguably, the banks are in better shape than they were a year ago. So that still makes them attractive. Having said that, we have been taking some profits there. We have been switching out of some of the banks. We've been moving towards the insurance companies. Historically, insurance company spreads are below bank spreads. Today, they're still higher. We think at the end of the day that the write-offs that the insurance companies take will be less than, than even what the banks are taking. So... That's appealing to us. There's other non-financial institutions that we like as well, like uh, GE Capital, for instance. Uh, we can pick up a couple of hundred basis points or 2% uh, over what we're seeing in uh, bank paper and same credit rating and uh, arguably... Uh, better diversified than the Canadian banks. So there, there are attractive opportunities uh, like GE and in manual life, sun life, situations like that, that we've been putting into the portfolio.
0: So overall, do you still see, you know, uh, a foot heavily on the gas as far as the corporates go? You guys have, have had our fund upwards of 50% in corporates. It's varied between 45 and 50%. Uh, how would you see that general level going forward?
1: In terms of our corporate exposure, we still feel pretty good about that. Corporate bonds in general are still at what we call recessionary levels. So if we look at the spreads today, they're at levels that we saw back in '91 and '92, and the same back in 2001, the last couple of recessions that we've had in North America. And that tells us, as the economy continues to heal, which we expect it will, that these spreads will continue to come in. So the opportunity is still there. And in the meantime, if we're wrong on that, we're going to get paid because we've got that extra carry because of the higher yields. So we we remain very constructive towards corporate credit here.
0: Also in that area, Larry, we've, we've used, in our fund, we've used a couple of U.S. Uh, high-yield ETFs to get sort of a broad exposure to high-yield in the States. Uh, similar themes there as, to, as far as the opportunities go?
1: Same, same situation. Uh, high-yield markets uh, continue to be very attractive on, uh, on a historical basis. And again, the underlying credits are only going to improve here as the economy uh, improves. So, you know, we feel very comfortable having gone into those markets. And, in fact, just recently we increased uh, the position in the portfolio from around 5% up through uh, 15%. And we're getting returns uh, just under 11%, 11%, given that we think the stock market, uh, under not a best-case scenario but a, a favorable scenario, is going to, That's probably all it's going to give you over the next 12 months. Uh, That makes the high yield particularly compelling.
0: Well, some of the funds to to make the purchases in our fund have come from equities. Uh, Maybe we should just finish on that. You've touched on it overall. We own an array of kind of income-oriented equities, the banks and some of the utilities and telcos. Uh, Do you see us uh, continuing to trim back on there, or uh, where do we stand on the equity side?
1: Well, we've been constructive towards uh, equities uh, for a number of quarters here, and we moved the fund up to around 30% uh, exposure to stocks, which is getting close to our maximum bet that we would make. And when we were moving up to that, we were looking, we were pretty confident that equities were going to give something like a 25% uh, rate of return. Today, uh, we've captured somewhere north of 15% of that 25 And we felt given that and there, there was this 11% yield staring us in the face out there, we thought maybe we'll take a little money off the table. We've got a lot of the return that's available, and let's put it into something where we've got less risk and a higher probability of achieving that last 10%. It actually dovetailed nicely into uh, the returns that we were getting in the equity portfolio, which is a combination of, as you mentioned, high-yielding bank stocks and some income trusts and REITs. The REITs, uh, which were one of the lower-quality types of issuers in the portfolio, performed exceptionally well. And we felt that uh, they were fully priced at today's levels, in fact, part of the reason they moved is they were able to raise a lot of capital, which made their balance sheet stronger. Unfortunately, what it does is dilute their earning power and their payout ability, and so we see the yields dropping on them. So we thought, okay, we've, uh, they've, they've done very nicely here. Let's just take some money off the table. So between lightening up on securities and a bit of a market view, it seemed like an easy decision to make to move into high yield.
0: Larry, let's, let's finish up just by talking about longer-term returns. How do you see it for bonds and stocks as we look forward, not over the next year, but over the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years?
1: When we look out over the next five years or so, um, given what we know today, we expect to see lower returns. We're going to be in a lower inflation environment, so that means yields are going to be lower and they're probably fixed incomes probably going to give you somewhere around four percent inflation at one to two that that 's going to be okay stocks because the economy is going to recover slowly over a period of time uh, we think can give returns in the sixty eight percent range If there 's any surprises over the next five years it will probably be to the upside, uh, not to the downside. but when I think about that. I think about uh, how we're positioned uh, in the fund, and uh, I really like the positioning. You know, we have about 20% in government provincials, and they're yielding us you know around the four percent level. So I'm happy about that. Our corporates are yielding 5.2%, and we've got close to 40% of the fund there. And then we have our high yield, which we talked about at 11, and then we have some really good stock positions yielding 5.7% with growth potential. So when I aggregate that all together, here we have a fund, really well diversified, 5.7% yield with capital appreciation potential and way less risk than my best-performing asset class, which is stocks between 6 and 8. So I really like where we're, we're sitting today. We're in a good spot.
0: Well, Larry, I think we'll wrap up there on that positive note. I want to thank you for coming out and joining us today and taking the time. And, and congratulations on uh, you and the team uh, guiding us through this. I know uh, 08 was tough on all of us, but you've come through it with shining colors, and, uh, and the funds really performed well. And we'll look forward to getting you back. Maybe we'll have a, a one-year anniversary. We'll hold you at all of these predictions and uh, have some fun with it. Again, thanks, Larry. And thanks to our listeners This is Tom Bradley. It's been a Steady Hand podcast. We look forward to coming to you again very shortly.